world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Do you, do you guys know we have a sponsor? We have a paid advertisement, and, and I thought we'd just take a few minutes here, and I can uh, just I can just handle it. I can do the recording <laughs> here for it. Okay, cool. Folks new from Nabisco, it's Namor's Nilla Wafers, a snack leagues ahead of the rest. Namor's Nilla Wafers, they will tide you over. You cannot fathom the flavor. Sure enough, they will keep your cravings at bay. Namor's Nilla Wafers, use offer code SEXYSUE at checkout. Imperious wrecks that appetite. It's Namor's Nilla Wafers. From Nabisco. Fathom, I want to kill you. <laughs> Listen, if you want to advertise on the Superhuman Registration Podcast, please email us at what is our email address? Do you think I've do you think I've scared away any potential sponsors for this program? Would you believe that it's been so long I've actually forgotten what our email address is? <laughs> <laughs> well, just in case we can, you know, what if, leave some what if ad there's space. just a giant inbox just full of suggestions for books to read. <laughs> Like I still have, I still have it set up. Hold on, I could probably just open my phone and it'll just say it. You know what the funny thing is too? We've stopped at saying that, <laughs> and we've 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 dropped the part where we're like, yeah, go to our webpage and go to contact. Oh yeah, we totally recommend. Totally dropped it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's funny. Like the Gmail account is full of like just advertisements. Congratulations from Podbean for hitting you know milestones on downloads and yeah you know oh what good stuff like that stones have we reached oh i, I don't, don't know this will make you, us you sad. make it sound like i checked this email <laughs> I well like steven milestones. uh dc is republishing the milestone comics that's pretty cool <sighs> yes but we're talking about our podcast now no he knows Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded like Google trying to sidestep the question. I've always wanted to read Icon. Well, now you con, because Icon. We all con. It's my turn. <sighs> <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> hey, I'm not going to lie. I'm very proud of Imperious Rex, your appetite. So, whatever. I don't. Is Imperious Rex a verb? I don't. It's Latin. That and also, don't care. Do not I'm care. Latin. I don't translate very well to either other things, John. <laughs> Lo siento. <laughs> Chuck Spratly is going to fire all of us for this. Yep. Speaking of verbs, we should just do this. Hey, it's the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We're here to talk about some comics that we read, including one that features a prominent man in a Speedo. That's right. The thing... I, I, I've always pictured those as more like being trunks than Speedo. Like that's, Speedo is not the word I would use to describe what the thing wears. He, he literally has a butt crack. That's the fun part about the thing. Oh, I see. It was a joke because, because he's, he's a craggly dude. Oh, and you're funny all the time. Shut your cake hole, Steven. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm Steven. We've got Aldo and John here on the call tonight. How are you two doing? I'm okay. My my Apple Pen tip has like a weird nick on the side of it, and it doesn't affect oh. anything. But it bugs me, and I can't I can't get rid of it with a knife, and I don't know what to do. 
Oh. Doesn't it come with a spare? Do you think I actually no? I am a hoarder. I have kept that box somewhere. Um, <laughs> I have to go find the box amongst the other boxes that I have also kept. Heavy, heavy is the burden. But this is why I hoard boxes. It's justified. See. <laughs> That's what I hate is when I put something away in a place that I won't forget it. Uh huh. And then I forget where that place is. It's like, I, I know it's safe wherever it is, and it's, yeah, no. I hate when I justify hoarding, because I do it, obviously, as we're talking about it here. I, I hoard stuff. But I constantly, it's, like, it's just a constant uphill battle, like a Sisyphean effort to, like, clear out spaces of boxes that are empty and whatever. And then, like, every once in a while, something like this happens, and I justify it, and I'm like, see? I'm not crazy. I'm not a madman. I am I am sane for keeping all the boxes. Yeah. You only have to be right once when, like, the thing that you saved pays off, and then it's like, aha, the system works. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. So where do we want to start tonight? We've got two stories to get through. I feel like maybe we should start with the FF Annual. Yeah, I was going to say, I can do that. We read the Fantastic Four Annual number one. The fabulous Fantastic Four presents Submariner versus the Human Race. The longest uninterrupted super epic of its kind ever published. Um, written by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby, inking by Dick Ayers, and lettering by Art Simic. This is from 1963. It also includes some Spider-Man at the end and a gallery of villains for the Fantastic Four. But the main story is uh, consists of Namor being um, crowned king of Atlantis. Um, a lot of pomp and circumstance. Everyone's happy. There's a, um, a uh, Lady Dorma, an Atlantean woman who's in love with him. Uh, the Fantastic Four are uh, cooped up getting on each other's nerves, so they go off for a vacation on a cruise. Very quickly, there are um, sea creatures out there. They're kind of on a cruise, but also kind of hoping to check out these sea creatures that people are talking about. But um, they expected their cruise to last longer, and very quickly, these uh, creatures pop out of the ocean, and so they go to investigate and are captured and given an ultimatum by Namor, who they know and they are... they. They think he sucks, and he loves Sue, and that's kind of the only thing keeping him from just beating on him. And um, through many clever um, uh, undersea devices and fish and things that uh, he brags about and talks about uh, and will cover later, um, he traps them, he says he declares war on the surface, and he shoots them back to the Baxter building. And they go to the UN and uh, give kind of a brief history of uh, Homo Mermanus, or Man of the Sea, and uh, the history of Namor himself, and then it turns out the diplomat, diplomat who's giving the speech about Namor is Namor in disguise, and he declares war on the surface. They very quickly take over New York, like absurdly quickly. Reed figures out a way to boil the uh, water that's in the uh, helmets of all the Atlanteans. They need it to breathe, and so they can't um, uh, continue their conquest, so they go back in the ocean, then Namor fights the Fantastic Four, captures Sue, dives underneath the ocean. They go after him. He doesn't want anything, uh, any harm to come to Sue. And so he, um, you know, kind of abandons all of this e enormous war against everyone on Earth and rushes Sue to safety only to come back to Atlantis and everyone's abandoned him. So took his eyes off the ball there and uh, blew it. And uh, Namor kind of is a jerk, but uh, had the feel of a classic story. We get little one-page spreads about all the villains that they've faced so far in their first year. Um, questions and answers about the uh, 
Fantastic Four, kind of how far and how how far and how fast can the Human Torch fly? And uh, Sue Storm, can she make? Uh, um, if she marries, would she leave the Fantastic Four? Oh, you know, I really got stuff to say about Sue. We get a uh, diagram of the Baxter Building is pretty cool, and then we get this story about Spider Man coming in and kind of just you know bugging the Fantastic Four and wanting to join the Fantastic Four, and they say no, get out of here, you're a jerk, and then he leaves. So this is kind of this is kind of when he's still in like maybe I could make money being a wrestler. He's like, hey, how much does this pay? Uh, I want to, you know, um, I'm worth your top salary. And they're like, no, this is no, we're not a we're a nonprofit. Get out of here. We're like we uh, any profit we make goes into scientific research. You came to the wrong place, pal. This isn't General Motors. So um, Spider Man kind of sucks, but that's the backstory in this as we get these splash pages of all these uh, villains. And yeah, that's uh, Fantastic Four Annual Issue One. What did you all think? That uh, Spider-Man story is actually, I believe, a reprint of an early Spider-Man comic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I don't know if, I, I didn't go to look at it and see if it's exactly the same, because it's like the same kind of things happen, but I don't, I, I don't recall it like looking exactly like this. I don't know. It's the same kind of thing. Like it's one of his first issues. He shows up wanting to join the Fantastic Four for money, and then they're like, who's this guy? And then it kind of shakes out like this, but. Uh... Boy, that was a wordy 30 pages of. <laughs> Look, I was gonna say something. It else. Sure but, was. Oh, it says it says right here, and I think we all skipped over it. <laughs> Editors note: this mem- memorable incident, one of the high points in comic magazine history, first occurred in the Amazing Spider-Man number one, March. It was merely a small two-page episode, which began one of Spider-Man's greatest adventures. However, we have re- received countless requests asking us to redo this famous encounter, but to devote more space to it, showing it all it all in its exciting detail. And so, because uh. we requested it. A special arrangement with the Spider-Man magazine where first this episode by Lee and Ditko first appeared in condensed form. So this is Spider-Man and uh, the Fantastic Four, but it's Lee and Kirby and Steve Ditko did the inking and Ray Holloway did the lettering. So yeah, very wordy. Lot, uh, well, it's it's old Stan, it's classic Stan Lee, so that's to be expected, yeah? For I suppose. <laughs> I thought, you know, Namor's going to make an appearance sooner or later, and so maybe we should see some early Namor, and well, we did. We should probably prioritize some contemporary Namor, because we also read the very first Namor story uh, in Marvel Comics number one, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's that was probably one of the better of the stories in Marvel Comics number one, but... Uh, we should we should read a good one too at some point. I concur. That's maybe that's maybe a little bit harsh. I don't think this no. was a bad story. Um, I, I think it started promising. Like I was interested at the beginning, and I thought some of the ideas of like like uh, the Atlante the um, Telefish, you know, that was cool. And how like he's like, well, I control the ocean. It's like why why would anyone fight Namor when he's like, I'm going to send the ships all back to port at the same time. It's like crap. Why would you mess with the sky? But then he very <laughs> quickly loses, ver- like very decisively, and everyone just abandons him. I- I did like the part where he turned Reed Richards into a punching bag. That was pretty Yeah. Cool. Yeah, there were some really fun illustrations of, like, the actual fighting and Richards doing weird stuff with his powers and Namor just beating the crap out of him anyway. Yeah, agreed. Surprisingly Reed Richards heavy episode today, I imagine. A little bit, a little bit, yeah. So I thought these, I thought these two stories were actually really interesting as, like, 
points of comparison. So we, uh, I don't think we actually said it at the top of the show, but in addition to this uh, Final, uh, Final Fantasy, Fantastic Four, <laughs> the other FF, we read uh, Secret Wars, or Secret Invasion. There are too many titles. Too many different titles of basically the same thing. Secret Invasion and this... The interesting thing about these two stories, reading them back to back, is that they are both weirdly similar in scope. Like, Secret Invasion, the plot is pretty light. There's not that much that happens in it. I could probably describe it in about the same amount of time that John took to describe the plot of this issue. And we'll see if I can actually manage to do that when the time comes for me to summarize it. Uh, so the thing that's interesting to me is, if you're looking at, like, early comics, how many stories involved, like, an invading army just straight up overrunning New York City? It seems to happen a lot overall, but I can't remember at what point that became a thing, or if that's always been a thing. Right, and how often, like, I don't hear about that happening in DC comics, like, you don't really hear about, you know, aliens coming and completely overrunning metropolis because you know superman just shows up and and shoes them away they, they usually come out of batman's bad dreams yeah and they're not aliens is that a, was that a batman v superman reference <laughs> no that was a dark knight's metal <laughs> reference oh still haven't read that oh, or have i read it and i just don't remember it whatever it's a dark multiverse from all his nightmares Oof. <sighs> turns out that the entire dc universe actually is completely obsessed with batman textually canonically uh anyway so i think that's one of the things that's interesting about the story and it's one of the things that i think saves it but more as an item of historical interest than as something that bears regular revisiting uh is that you know the scope of this story is massive and they get through it in not that many pages Mm -mm. i mean it's an issue yeah like maybe it is it's an annual so it's a larger issue one and a half. Felt like so much longer. It's so hard to read. Such a chore. It was. It is very wordy. It, the problem is, for for a book where a lot of stuff happens, it feels like it drags. Mm-hmm. It feels like we are constantly like waiting for like the next thing to happen. I mean, by the time you finish the book, a lot kind of has happened. But in the process of it, it does not feel like it is nearly as fast-paced as, like, a summary of it will lead you to believe. Yeah. Um, and honestly, some of the parts that uh, probably go on a bit too long wound up being some of my favorites. Like, the the weird little scuffles between the thing and the human torch at the beginning. Um, those are fun. I kind of like those. They are silly. I That's the, where the art bothered me the most. Because, you know, you don't want to say anything against Jack Kirby because um, then you go to comics hell. But I <laughs> I think I think that it's the inks on top of his art that, like, they're too thick. They're, it, it's, it feels almost clumsy. In particular, I'm looking at page 7. It's page, Yeah, it's page 7 in the app, too. The top right corner, it's, you know, hold it, buddy boy. Just one in the right position. I'll give him a whap, and that'll make his bottom even redder than it is now. You know, classic thing dialogue. Ugh. Um, the thing looks awful in this picture. And, like, I, I know that, that Jack Kirby can draw monsters, but it's just, it looks bad. I don't, okay, but to be fair, though, I don't think the problem here is necessarily the inks. Because I, uh, I had a lot of trouble kind of reading some of the 
dialogue boxes. I think this is a transfer issue, like a like moving it from whatever master, if they even had one, to digital. And I think a lot of that got really messed up because like I some wonder, of the lines look yeah. really thick. Some of the lines are broken, like in ways that like they shouldn't be because on another page they aren't. Like it's also inconsistently consistent or consistently inconsistent which is not like a super great thing <laughs> yeah well uh, the thing the thing does not look great for most of this issue um well you I try being 800 pounds of rock I'm, I'm getting there i mean you know i'm doing my best <laughs> well i think they were still trying to figure out the thing's design a little bit because when he the the very first appearance of the thing he wasn't rocky, but he was more almost like a mud man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like a Jewish so, Yeah. Right, yeah. I don't know. Was that intentional? I think, they've le- I think b- b- like, subconsciously, and now they've acknowledged it, but it makes sense. You know, Jack Jack Kirby would have that heritage, and I think I've seen that. Where did, did, did we just read this? Where did I read this? Where did I see this? You made it up. No, 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 no. Like, it's a, like a thing that was brought up when I was reading about something. Yeah, the thing was brought up in this book, John. We just said that. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> Although, like, gets up and does a victory lap. <laughs> I did it! I got him! Did it! I did it! That is the, actually the only moment I like in the first Fantastic Four movie with uh, Chris Evans was he uh, pr- when he's pranking um, Ben Grimm and he like keeps tickling him and he keeps tickling him but he's a rock right and he can't feel anything and finally he gets him to like do the classic like tickle him with the feathers so that they do a, like a face full of shaving cream or whatever and Chris Evans little like yay like two hands in the air like success kind of little yeah is very well done um <laughs> But I'm I. But having said that, I'm so glad that like he got to come back as Cap because boy, those are not great movies. That's um, oh, that's what I was reading. It was something Aldo sent me. It was the casting. Maybe it was mentioned in there. Yes, yes. They talk about how uh, the guy um, on YouTube was talking about like casting who could be you know well cast, and they were like, you know, there are some hints at um, Ben Gribb's uh, Jewish heritage, and they bring it up later more prominently. And so what if we had, you know, found a uh, Jewish actor who could play Ben Grimm? Um, and they mentioned, yeah, that's, I was like, I've only, I've only watched so many YouTube things and it had to be from something. So, <laughs> yes. So that's, that's how that came up. But yeah, it is like a golem. Yeah. So, but now he should be rockier and in later issues, he looks better. His like eye ridge is always weird to me, but um, also I don't, so I'm on page seven again, and Sue Storm can do so much with her powers. I don't know if she uses them once in this, in the whole story. She's invisible at the end, but she's just like, oh no, what have they done? My clothes, my expensive Dior and Saks Fifth Avenue dresses oh, ruined God. them, sobbed. Oh, they were original exclusive creations. Men, you're all beasts. Ah, uh, we're still years away from Sue being like, she's straight up just a damsel in distress in this story. Yep. And it sucks. It, it And that was the role of women in a lot of early uh, Stan mm-hmm. and Jack comics. Uh, mm-hmm. Marvel Girl in the X-Men fairs, not any better, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit? I don't know. Um, but speaking of Jack Kirby and women, I may have said this on the podcast before, but he always draws, especially the women who are supposed to be really attractive, with these incredibly pronounced cheekbones. <laughs> I suspect 
And I don't really have any basis for this other than I've seen a photo of Rosalind Kirby. <laughs> I think that's his wife. Like, I think that's just... Because his wife has very pronounced cheeks. Um, and I just... I just that a theory of mine is that Jack Kirby draws women like that because that's what his wife looks like. I don't see it. I'm looking at her. You don't see it? No. no. But also, I think Jack Kirby just draws big cheekbones on, like, everybody because, like, even Namor has got some pretty out there cheekbones. I don't think it's just the women. You you noticed his cheekbone? I noticed a lot of things on Namor, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not seeing it in Roz. She has nice, she has nice cheeks. She has a nice, like, she has a nice smile. But I'm not seeing, face, like... Face cheeks. <laughs> face cheeks? I said nice cheeks. I didn't say face cheeks. Of course, fa- Oh. No, oh, I'm specifying oh. the types of cheeks. Yes. Face. Oh, boy. We are, we are drifting into some real uncomfortable territory here. Yeah. Um... But yeah, the uh, fifth the fifth beetle here. Actually, no, sorry, the sixth because you know Namor is like the fifth beetle in the Fantastic Four. Um, is definitely Lady Dormus cheekbones. Yes, you're right. <laughs> he would be Yoko, really. Yoko didn't break up the Beatles though, and Namor is very much trying to break up the Fantastic Four, right? I mean, I mean Yoko was okay. a catalyst. Listen, she this didn't... isn't a Beetle cast, but I would talk about. The effects, the Yoko effects on the Beatles. <laughs> I I went into I, I went into um I watched um Get Back you know with like I just want to I just want to see what it's like you know and not and try not to assume you know and Paul McCartney does say you know it'd be a shame if someone thought the Beatles broke up because you know Yoko sat on a amp or something but that happened and it didn't help so. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh my gosh! Did you tell me about this, Aldo? Chuck Berry and and, and John Lennon yes. singing. And, <laughs> it's my yes, favorite thing. I've watched that multiple times. Just where I'm just like, I need some righteous anger, like that Chuck Berry <laughs> anger. And you look at his face, and you're like, wow, like way to hold it together, man. Because oh, yeah, he was it, ready. It's just to bad. Up. It's just bad. It's just mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Like Terrible. you know fine performance art whatever but time in a place you know <laughs> God. do we have anything else to say about this annual no I'm, now i'm mad about johnny be good <laughs> <clears throat> no john be good please you know that sound you've been looking for it ain't yoko's um i listen remember when, remember when back to the future tried to steal rock and roll from black people <laughs> yes john Mulaney. yes i did <laughs> I like the uh, oxygen-filled, giant-sized, magnetic seashell. They just, like, throw... It's magnets! That's why it captured Mr. Fantastic. Okay. Um, no, I like these, like, you know, things that he has. This uh, this uh, underwater rocket thing that he can, like, precisely aim right to the top of it. Don't mock their technology, Johnny. In their own way, they seem as highly... Like, a lot of this explaining when it's like, Hey, man, we can see this tube. We don't have to, you know, see... Where we use rocket propellant, they use highly concentrated water pressure power. And then they get shot right to the Baxter building and then just fall in a puddle and it, everything's okay. So, um, I don't know. There's there's some good here, but then there's a lot of like, uh, we do get Khrushchev um, hitting his shoe on the podium. So that's good. <laughs> yep, I'm, it's, you know, a pack of capitalistic lies. No matter what the democracy say, I vote nyet, nyet, nyet. So that's cool. That's such um, a caricature. Namor's, Namor's, uh, ha-ha, it was me the whole time was pretty cool. 
Yeah, okay, that actually did get me when <laughs> they, like, visit the United Nations and they call on this expert to, to explain Homo Mermanus. And it's like, Namor just pops out like the freaking Jojo villain. Mm-hmm. You thought I was a scientist, but it was really me, D- I mean Namor! Yeah, not Dr. Falton, but maybe that should, that should be, yep, yep, I'm claiming it, that's my name now, Dr. Falton, not any ridiculous name in the chat. You can have Chuck Sprightly and Aldo and Dr. Falton. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Strawberry Daddy. It's really not, so... <laughs> I kind of is in my heart and soul. Oh, oh, worst. Although times may change, John, you will always be Strawberry Daddy to me. Someday there'll be some sort of mix-up and you'll be in jail and they'll be they'll ask me to identify the man and they'll be like, do you know do you know number three? I'll be like, that's Strawberry Daddy. <laughs> Here lies Strawberry Daddy. May he rest in peace. <laughs> now I can't change it. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. This is so dumb. Anyway, there's let's yeah we'll find a better um, a better Namor story because I'm I don't know I'm like like it's weird because um, I I don't like Aquaman because he's stupid maybe because he's not <laughs> enough of a jerk Namor's a jerk and I'm like hey let's read more about this guy he sucks but he sucks in a way that I'm you know interested in so. there is something to be admired about the sheer audacity and confidence. That Namor sports. All the time. Na- Namor could wear actual literal garbage to the to mm-hmm. the Met Gala. And the amount of confidence and bravado he would bring, nobody would question it. Well, Look I feel like him. Namor would wear actual garbage to the Met Gala as like a statement about man's injustice towards the ocean, right? Do yeah. you see these plastic straws, you <laughs> surface dwellers? <laughs> like Namor walks in and the commentators are all like, Oh, now here comes the Prince of Atlantis wearing a dashing uh, six-pack plastic ring from Dior. <laughs> oh, he's fashioning them into fishnets. That's offensive. And then on the back on his like white trunks in red lettering, it says, Drown the Rich. <laughs> uh, I, will, I would stand Namor. Real life, I would stand <laughs> Namor. What I like is that so at some point he joins the X-Men, right? Because he's like technically a mutant. And I was like, well, that's a weird late late in the game kind of retcon. But it mentions it in this. So, you know, pretty early on in Marvel Comics history, we get Namor being mentioned as like the world's first mutant. And really, we, I mean, we know that was like probably Apocalypse or something. But um, it is mentioned here. So I feel a little bit better about him like teaming up with the X-Men later and being like, uh, yeah, I'm a mutant. It's like, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, it's interesting. Namor was a mutant before Marvel had mutants. Uh, I think maybe this doesn't predate X Men. This one. It, it's like a contemporary because I'm pretty sure X Men is sixty three two. Wouldn't wouldn't sixty three two just be sixty four? See, I knew okay, that. Okay, hold on. <clears throat> September first, nineteen sixty three. This came out July second, nineteen sixty three. So. Publishing-wise, yes, but maybe it was in the air. I don't know. They probably, you know, I mean, they they were planning X-Men. It occurs to me that Namor is weirdly in the same boat as a different uh He's not in a boat, Stephen, he lives under the sea. Yeah, did you not read any of it? He doesn't need one. Anyway, Namor is... <laughs> remi- <laughs> Namor reminds me of a DC character, but not Aquaman. Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy? Because both Poison Ivy and... Namor kind of started off as villains and they were specifically these weird sort of pseudo eco-terrorists 
Mm. But as time has gone on, we've kind of realized um, <clears throat> they, they, they kind of have a point. Like, Poison Ivy's whole deal is she's upset with man for, uh, you know, destroying plants. And, well, whoops. Like, we did that. Namor's whole thing is, like, humanity is, is polluting and destroying the oceans. And literally, yes. Literally, yes, that is, that is the truth. Uh, the thing is, I think Poison Ivy, they like the writers of the character have gone out of the way to rehabilitate her and make her more sympathetic. Whereas with Namor, they just lean into him being a complete buttwad. Yep. And that's what people like about him. Do you think, though, that making Poison Ivy more sympathetic is necessarily a bad thing? I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think... Uh, like, I haven't read it, but she's got a solo series coming out now with uh, G. Willow Wilson and... It's uh, uh, Willow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Willow Wilson. I, I don't remember who the artist is. Um, the, the covers are fantastic. They all just look really good. And I think, yeah, no, like, of all the villains who should be getting solo series makes sense for someone like Poison Ivy, who was originally a villain, but who has kind of become more sympathetic. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think Namor could have gone the same route, because again, he's kind of right about mankind, and that's only become more evident in the 21st century <laughs> than it was back then. But people don't seem to mind if Namor is awful. Uh, in fact, they seem to like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people, it's, you know, it's okay that that's their role. What would we do with a nice Namor? You know, like, it, it's just fun to have him be a jerk. Now, in the same way, though, that there are a couple of the new X-Men when they... Giant Size X-Men number one. It's not Sunspot. Shoot, now i got to look up who that is. There's a couple of guys who just are mean, just like... And they're just, like, grumpy and just, like, you know, they just kind of throw a fit for no good reason. Um, they're like, oh, I don't want to join your team. And then two seconds later, okay, I'll join your team. And, uh, so you don't want to, like, guess on Sunfire. That. Sunfire, thank you. Sunfire does that in the X-Men, yeah. Say th- I want to say Thunderbird is also the same kind of way. No, Thunderbird just dies. Oh, right. Yeah, so he's like, he's like a naysayer, and then very quickly he's like, yeah, okay. That doesn't work. Namor being like, how dare you? I am a king and you are surface-dwelling, you know, scum people and blah, blah, blah. It's like, all right, well, he sucks, but I like him. So I don't know what the difference, I don't know what it is. But Yeah, interested to see what they do with him as a uh, character on the big screen. So that's all. Indeed. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Namor. Namor. <laughs> Namor. <laughs> I really like that. That really... (laughs) (laughs) Which they've also changed... They've changed the name of Atlantis as well. Two? Like, uh, I think it's like Delok, which is named after like an Aztec god of water. Oh. Cool. We'll see how that actually pans out once it comes out. It can't be worse than Aquaman. I saw that in the theaters. I paid money and used my own eyes. Oh, okay. I I, I liked Aquaman. (laughs) Actually. Not, but granted, I like it. It's fun, but it's not good, but it's fun. And really, at that point, that's all I wanted from a DC movie was fun. (laughs) It has its moments. It, it has some genuine charm in it. Um, I, I prefer my Jason Momoa's to be Duncan Idaho's. That's all. You want him around for 20 minutes? 
Yeah, that was just 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 the amount you need. Plus, it comes back in the books. And, anyway, um, I liked the underwater big, huge, um, like, crab fights and stuff. There was, like, a moment when, like, a big, huge claw comes and just obliterates somebody. That was kind of cool. I think it's telling that we keep changing the subject. I think it's time to move on. <laughs> yeah, probably. <clears throat> I guess we'll say no more. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, we also read Secret Invasion. Although I'm so mad at you. So Secret Invasion. <laughs> Yay. 2008 uh, series, uh, major Marvel Comics event, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by Leniel Francis Yu, inks by Mark Morales, colors by Laura Martin, and letters by uh, one of my favorite letterers, Chris Eliopoulos. Um, just... I just like him. He seems like a neat guy. Secret Invasion, oh my gosh, is one of the most 2008 stories I've ever read. Like, it feels like, yeah, this is a 2008 story. Um, where we've still got a whole bunch of baggage from, like, 9-11 and all of that, but we're also, like, transitioning to uh, maybe a new administration. Things are things are real conflicted. Uh Secret Invasion is the payoff to months and potentially years of setup uh, where there's been a lot of implication that different characters within the Marvel Universe are scrolls. Turns out that all comes to a head with the discovery of the dead body of Elektra the Assassin, but it turns out she's actually a scroll. Then Sword detects a ship crash landing in the savage land this draws the attention of uh both the official avengers and the unofficial bootleg avengers because this is in the middle of the i guess this is in the aftermath of civil war where you've got multiple different uh superhero teams running around and some of them are licensed and some of them are not they have a big uh third on fight and then people come out of the ship and it turns out it's a whole bunch of duplicate versions of heroes. There's a Captain America, even though the real Captain America or is presumed to be dead. There's a Thor, there's another Wolverine, there's a Spider-Man. All of these duplicate heroes come out and they have a big scuffle. Uh, and some characters come out who have long been presumed dead, most notably Mockingbird, who is the deceased wife, maybe ex-wife of Clint Barton. Hawkeye, who is currently running around as Ronan. Oh my gosh, there's so much, like, table setting here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, in the middle of this fight, Tony Stark winds up getting infected with this weird virus. And uh, let's, let's kind of sum things up. There's a big scrap in New York that attracts all sorts of different teams. The Initiative shows up. Nick Fury and his secret Avengers show up. Uh, the Thunderbolts show up. And they're all fighting all of these scrolls who keep showing up and... and trying to murder a whole bunch of people and conquer the world, and they always, like, end their fights or, or end their big dramatic moments by saying, he loves you. And it turns out the he that they are referring to is God, and there's this big, lengthy sort of monologue in the middle of the story where the scroll describe how Earthlings have always expanded and they've done so in the name of God and then they've rewritten the history books so that they look like the good guys and through all of it. And so it's like, well, the Earthlings are doing it. There's no reason we can't do it too. Meanwhile, Tony Stark, who's infected, is getting persuaded by the Scroll Queen who is in the form of Spider-Woman, 
that he is also a scroll, and they're trying to manipulate him into doing some technology stuff for him. Reed Richards has been kidnapped by the Skrulls, uh, gets betrayed by Yellow Jacket slash Hank Pym, who is uh, actually evil because he's a Skrull, although the real Hank Pym is also kind of actually evil, so no wonder he fooled everyone. Reed Richards escapes, teams up with the Avengers that are still hanging out in the Savage Land to uh, come back to New York, and they have a big throwdown fight with the Skrulls. Norman Osborn gets the kill shot on the Skrull Queen and uses that to spin into his new role as the director of the, the National and International Armed Forces. Tony Stark is kind of disgraced by all of this. And that's the story in a nutshell. It's, it seems like there's a lot going on because a lot of players keep coming in and out of the story. But really... You've got a big fight in the Savage Land. You've got a big fight in New York. And those are kind of the main points. A um, couple of minor things uh, seem to be leading off into different spin-off issues. Uh, for one, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, their little girl, gets kidnapped by a scroll Jarvis. That does not get resolved in these pages. I feel like there were a couple of things that were referenced here that I don't think paid off here like i think reed at some point says they used my brain to take over the world and to me it wasn't clear how that happened so i'm wondering if that was in like the fantastic four tie-in or whatever but you know at the end of the day this is where the big fight happens this is where all of the the epic cinematic moments occurred uh yeah. what do you guys think i really like the part where he says something about or reed richards what does he say? I think he's like kind of just yelling at them. And the queen, the squirrel queen was like, you should have thought about that before you turned our brothers into cows. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was pretty great. <laughs> that, was a, that was a pretty funny uh, callback. Yeah. Um, you know, this is all right. Um, I feel like a lot of the, like the story, the, you know, confrontations, like this was the fights, you know, this was the, like the big moments. So... You know, it'd be nice to get back to this at some point and, um, you know, maybe see more about, like, why is it exactly that when uh, the wasp becomes giant woman, like, it's killing everyone? Is it some kind of disease that she's spreading and she's so huge that it's doing that? Like, I that wasn't clear to me. Um, Jarvis being a uh, scroll holding the baby was really freaked me out. Um, you know, the art's, the art's good. Um, it's mm -hmm. that, like, house style we talk about a lot. But it's well, consistently good and the coloring, I think, the coloring was my favorite part about all this no some why is that i don't maybe because it's like bright and vibrant i don't i don't know i don't know it is it is uh was francis lionel you yes um and i was actually gonna say uh francis you i really like uh he's done some work for dc doing one of their one of their superman retellings i don't remember if it's the one that wade did or johns did um but yeah, I like, I really like Lenial uh, Francis Yu. I don't, like, not enough to have learned how to pronounce his name, obviously, uh, but he's, he does good quality work. Yeah. I think it's also funny because you can tell he has, there's a couple characters he likes to draw, and Spider-Woman is one of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I just, I, I don't know, just uh, surmising here. But yeah, I, I like his art style. I don't know that I would necessarily fit it into house style, like even kind of jokingly, because he has like this bit of a, 
he has this bit of a scratchy kind of look, like it's a bit raw. Yeah, there's a little roughness to it. Yeah, which I really love. I really like that. Not a lot of artists do that. And when they do, not a lot of uh, inkers can really bring out um, kind of like the, the detail that like they're really bringing out. So all, all to say that like, the team here, visually, I mean, also the writing team, right? Because just, you know... Uh, but <laughs> talking about the inks, colors, and, and pencils, uh, really kind of knocking it out of the park here. I'd agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't love the writing. Like, I feel That's like... That's why I walked that back. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Bendis, better writer than I will ever be. I've, I've said some kind of uh, critical things of Bendis over the years, but I think I have to acknowledge that when he excels, he's quite fun to read. Mm-hmm. I just don't think these big bombastic blockbuster fight sequences and action stories are really his bag. I don't I don't think this is what he's best at. Yeah, there was no discussion around a, a conference room table in Not this a book. single conference room in the whole Which book. was like, "Hey, good job, man," but also like maybe maybe we needed at least one, you know. Yeah. I think part of my complaints in this book, if I have any really, which I do, because it's not, it's not a perfect book. It's, I think it gets probably one of the better event books, actually. But, but what I'm trying to say though is, I think one of my complaints is there's a few things that are left up in the air. We already mentioned Jarvis, scroll, scroll Jarvis taking the baby. I think for me the biggest plot hole that doesn't really get resolved, or not plot hole, but just mystery, is that. They're trying to figure out how the scrolls were tricking everybody to the point where they couldn't like identify them, and I know towards the end they're everybody's kind of like uh, I think they're they've kind of figured out that like yeah that's why they have a bunch of these original superheroes on the ship, right? Like that they've had to kidnap and like they have to keep them alive and stuff like that, but. Um, I, f- I don't know if that's as necessarily a satisfying resolution to that mystery because it just seems well, a little cheap to just be like, yeah, we just copied their DNA or something. But like the the transformation, though, is something that's already inherent to them. So what else are they doing to be able to pull off all the mannerisms and all that stuff? If you uh, know your Harry Potter, um, you know, they uh, interview their captive uh, abductee, whatever. They know if that's two words that mean the same thing. <laughs> when you use the polyjuice potion, you have to keep them around to interview them and ask them questions. So maybe there's a way for them to do that. Keeping them alive means that they can say, hey, Bobby Morse, I want to trick Hawkeye, your husband, um, who thinks you're dead. And, uh, I need a very personal detail about him that's going to completely fool him until the very last moment. And then it's going to make him real pissed. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe that happens in the other issues. I don't know. Maybe. Because I really... That, that was actually one of the little... Not that particular side story, but like one of my favorite side stories in here was them trying to trick Tony Stark into thinking he's a scroll. Yeah. That was actually kind of riveting. I, I really... I really thought he was going to be a scroll because part of the... Part of the point of this book, kind of like Stephen mentioned, was to bring back certain heroes, uh, reset like some status quos, and kind of 
eliminate some of the changes that they've done to characters over the years that some people haven't liked. And so, like, this was kind of, like, a really uh, efficient way, maybe, to do that and, like, retcon that. So, I, kind of knowing that already, I wholeheartedly believe that the Tony Stark that we had been following was a scroll, And that was going to be the justification for him going so in that direction of the superhuman registration, all that stuff. Yeah. Hey, that's the name of the show. Um, <laughs> wow, it's almost like it's named after. I, I, it feels a bit like a fake out. Like, I think they knew that Tony Stark was kind of getting unpopular because of his role in Civil War. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of leaned into it for that. And then, whoops, nope, we tricked you. Uh-huh. Which, I mean, out of all the fake outs, like, that's not the worst fake out. No. It makes me wonder, though, like, if this whole, uh, you know, trying to trick Tony into uh, being a scroll or thinking he's a scroll, like, I wonder if that plays out in greater detail in, like, a Tony Stark dedicated uh, Iron Man secret invasion tie-in, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, probably. Which, again, is kind of the bummer of all these event books is how many things don't really get resolved in the event book itself, right? Like how many times right. do we have to, how many times have that we talk about these event books, do we talk about like, we don't know, maybe it's in one of the tie-ins and it's always yeah. a bummer. It is always a bummer. Cause it's like, there's like over 25 issues, like well over 25 other issues, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, look, <laughs> like, how much time do you have? Like, if you're not like, totally invested you know then it's like okay you gotta read this to get to that and that to get you know it's just it's a lot not to mention how much money do you have because that's a lot of and Mm -hmm. i get it every like most corporations that put out products aren't interested in getting a little bit of your money they want all of your money i collect magic the gathering cards i get it i get it (laughs) um but at the same time it's like I don't know. I, I'm fine with some things. Like, I'm actually fine with the uh, Jarvis taking off with Danielle and that getting resolved elsewhere. Like, I'm fine with sequel hooks. I'm fine with, like, spinoff stories. But I feel like some things in this book are, like... Or some of the things that should have been in this book are not in it. Uh, how exactly the, the scrolls... Uh, did a lot of their infiltration um how uh, yeah the, just the uh, some of the things we've already pointed out I, I i feel like this is just the climax this is just the final hour of avengers endgame where mm-hmm. it's just the fighting yeah. and for what that is it is pretty fun i prefer this to a lot of the other events that we read even from like around the same time um but it is still like worth acknowledging that the story is incomplete. Some of that is because this is the payoff to years of buildup. Mm-hmm. And some of it is because they left the vital plot bits out for the tie-ins. Which, that is completely true. Um, but we've read other events, like Secret Wars is only enriched by the tie-ins, but still stands alone as its own thing. Um there are little details that can give you more information as to why things are happening in this way, why this character is with this character at this time, you know, um, what happens off screen. But the story by itself, just it, it's awesome and stands alone. 
So, um, but that it is a newer event. So maybe we're learning, maybe, you know, events are getting better at that. No, because original sin came after this. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It was a very long learning period. One of the things I really wish had happened in this book, even as an issue zero, like just, again, additional reading on top of all this, would have been like a little, just kind of like a little anthology just showing you key moments in the years leading up to this of like, when did a character swap out, right? Yeah. Or maybe like just even like a book after this. That was like, I don't know, call it the secret invasion, like secret files or something, because they love that type of stuff. And maybe that th- is a thing that exists. I'm looking it up while you're saying that, because I'm like, of course <laughs> it exists. But like, I think yeah. it'd be cool to have like just that book, that resource where like at the end of the book or even in the after pages, right after they have revealed who is a scroll showing like a just a one page thing that just shows you like, yeah, in this year or during this event or during this chapter or whatever they're just like this is how they were kidnapped and this is when they took over their place i think that would have been really cool and at least for me would have given a little bit more context for like some of the stuff especially since i don't i didn't really know that bobby had been dead for so long i knew that just because i happened to like that happened to be in one of the combo packs of comics that i bought from toys r us when i was a kid so I, I've, I've actually read the story where, where Mockingbird died originally. Yeah. The other thing I would have liked to have seen is if if she died, right? And she stayed dead because the one who was there was a scroll. This is like one of those weird little plot holes that when you think about it too much, it kind of starts uh, ruining the experience, both yours and everybody else's. But like... <laughs> If they were a scroll, why didn't they turn back into a scroll, right? Like, if that if that Mockingbird was a scroll. Like, suddenly, now that's a plot. Like, I, you know, quote-unquote plot hole, using big air quotes. But, um, but yeah, that's... I don't know, just a little bit of context over, like, who changed would have been nice. Yeah. And, heck, they could have fit some of that in this book. Like, we didn't need uh, freaking, what, five pages of maria hill trying to make a joke about a t-shirt into a one-liner no yeah but you know what though i did like the payoff on that though <laughs> not the actual joke because i don't think the joke was actually finished but that oh, the whole... joke was bad but maria yeah. hill like no and that was actually something i was thinking maria hill abigail brand these kind of like not terribly interesting characters get really good moments um, when they, like, fight back against the scrolls. Mm-hmm. I loved it when Brand bluffed her way past the scroll soldiers by pretending to be a scroll herself and then, like, sealing their gun and just shooting them. Yeah, yeah. that was really That good. bit, that bit ruled. Yeah. It really did. That was really cool. Uh, Maria Hill kind of embracing the whole uh, life model decoy bit from Nick Fury was also, like, a really good moment. There's another moment in here that was pretty cool, to me at least, which was when, was it Sentry, who was attacking the Thunderbolt Mountain? And I he's thought, yeah. Yeah, was that Sentry Sleeper? or was it somebody else? I can't there was a Marvel in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, Marvel. Yeah, that whole little, like, side story where he goes to attack him 
Norman Osborn, master manipulator, maybe, kind of, just in a couple uh-huh. movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this. And this. Uh, you know, because it talks him down from, you know, destroying the rest of the mountain. And it's like, is this what you want to do? Is this what, like, you're programmed to do? Like, you, the person that you are pretending to be is this thing, but, like, you're real programming or whatever it is forcing you to do this other thing like what do you want to do right like talking him down and getting him away from that like was actually really cool and for like a brief moment you're like oh maybe he is like a nice guy (laughs) like a briefest (laughs) the briefest of of moments and then later he's talking to a marvel or i think it is marvel he's talking to and marvel i think was a scroll (laughs) Yeah, so Marvel was a scroll, but then there was also I think it was Novar. Yes, yeah. yeah it gets a little confusing because mm-hmm. nobody actually cares about Marvel, and uh, I like Novar. I think is just a blind spot for me. I'm not going to go so far as to say nobody cares about him, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm with Aldo on this. Yeah, but no, like this is an interesting case where like. In Civil War, we talked about how the best stuff in Civil War isn't actually in the Civil War event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Secret Invasion is in a, kind of an interesting variation on it, where I think the most interesting stuff is in the event, but it doesn't involve the major characters. Nope. Like, yeah. I, the Iron Man stuff is pretty good, but I think the best stuff is Abigail Brand, Maria Hill, uh, freaking Norman Osborn. Norman uh, Osborn in this is kind of a surprise hit. Especially, cause, especially for me, because I had forgotten that this was before his takeover, essentially, of Hammer that they give him later, right? Right. And this kind of sets up a lot of things. Uh, like, this also, towards the very end, is also when we had that secret meeting. I don't know what their name is, so I'm going to call them the, the reverse Illuminati. But, yeah. But he has that <laughs> meeting with, with all those uh, the other villains, right? So... But, like, the whole kind of playing the game type thing, right? Like, he sees what's going on with Tony Stark. He understands, like, all this stuff is going on. And he knows that if he gets that killer shot on the Queen of the Scrolls, that he's a shoo-in. And just the fact that this all happens without them having to explain it until after it's all done, I thought was actually... That's actually credit to, to Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> you see the, the, the little moments line up all together, and you're like, oh, this is oh, this is a big move. Yeah, because he, yeah. when he talks him down, right? Like, it's not just a thing of, like, talking down uh, Novar, Marvel, whoever, whichever one it was. Sentry, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know anymore. But... It couldn't have been Sentry, because the Sentry stuff sucks. I'm on the page. It's um, Marvel. Yeah, Marvel. So the whole thing with that was, like, really interesting, right? Because if you look at it from, like, a hindsight point of view, he can't have the Thunderbolts attack him. Because, I mean, they, the Thunderbolts could probably win. I mean, they have Venom. They have a couple of the other guys in there. But it's not worth it when there is a common enemy. And if he can talk his way out of that and get that person out of the way, like, it just kind of, it's one of those things that just makes sense, right? Especially, like... Towards the end of the whole thing when you're looking back at it. Because at the moment, it's kind of like... Like, for me at least, it did actually feel like it tricked me. I was like, oh, Norman Osborn is like... Maybe does know a thing or two about turning a new leaf, right? Nope. (laughs) 
Nope, he's just playing. He's just playing a whole different game. I thought I was watching checkers. He's playing chess. Issue five really is probably my favorite out of all of these because we it starts with that manipulation from Norman Osborn. Mm-hmm. Then we get all that Oz. Well, we get the um, the oh, did you notice the Colbert O eight in every like issue? There was some reference to it. Yeah. There Remember was, how I said this is the most 2008 comic? Yeah, it is. Car- Cartman was in there. We get who? Cartman, Cartman. from South Park. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a Top Cartman left. in there. Oprah Winfrey. Oh, man. Uh, Oprah. <laughs> is this supposed to be Paris Hilton? He loves you, Kyle. Oh. <laughs> we get Magneto. I like that I like that Reed Richards and I don't know if that's supposed to some of you wallow uh, gleefully wallow in excess while brother next to you start I don't know if that's supposed to be I can't recognize him. It's either Aaron Sorkin or a televangelist. I can't recognize that face. But behind that's the televangelist is behind uh, Reed Richards who is in front of uh, Magneto and all of them are covering up the Pope who's on who's uh blocking out uh mm-hmm. Like, well, actually, no, Barack Obama's just below him. Um, and, like, even John McCain's in there, Kim Jong-un. Barack Obama looks a bit like a caricature, and I don't know how to feel about yeah. that. Yeah, most of these look <laughs> like a caricature. Like, Oprah is barely recognizable. Yeah. I think legally they have to do that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's probably like, well, we're not going to tell you because the eyes are under the shade of the hat, but it is a Nike hat up, uh, you know, where uh, it's, I mean, it's Tiger Woods, but... Yeah, I think the other moment I really enjoy in here... It's, again, kind of the culmination or part of the culmination of a lot of things that have happened. But it's when Thor comes in to help, right? So he comes in. He's doing his whole lightning thing. He's being just reminding us that he's a god amongst men. And at the end of the book or the whole series, when Tony Stark is trying to talk to him and he's like, thanks for coming in and helping us out and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he just gives them that that kind of just... Don't talk to me. Like, I'm here because I need to be for my other friends. And this is your fault. And maybe it's not all your fault. But, boy, it probably feels like it's all your fault. And that's deservedly so. <laughs> Goodbye, Tony Stank. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was just a really good moment. And I kind of forget. I th- and I'm not going to say that this is... I'm not going to be one of those people who hates the new Thor movies because... I have a soft, fragile ego. But with recent years, Chris Hemsworth playing Thor as kind of a comedic character, I kind of forget like how like straight he's played in a lot of the the comics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I have warmed to Thor the Dark World. Mm-hmm. Because at the beginning like I used to I used to consider Thor the Dark World to be the worst of all of the Marvel movies and I've kind of warmed to it in part because it tries to treat the character of Thor with the same level of like gravitas and operatic drama that the character had in the Walt Simonson comics which mm-hmm. uh rule yeah so I don't know I I have have uh I like when Thor gets to be the the solemn, serious character as much as I like uh, comedic Chris Hemsworth. Because Chris Hemsworth, funny dude. I don't yeah. think we re- I don't think we recognized that. He's a funny guy. 
Mm-hmm. I as as yeah. <laughs> Love and Thunder cracked me up. Um, which yeah, you could say like, oh, but he's you know he's supposed to be like you know God of Thunder and like he's supposed it's it's you know I don't know it was so good. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, yeah, like it's a different Thor, so fine. Like, you know, if you don't, if you're not happy with it, then go write your own Thor movie and do it right. Yeah. I guess. I, th- I think I don't know. I think my only real complaint is that really dumb, really cheesy Jane, <laughs> the almost Scooby Doo level. Scooby Doo. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. I thought that was just for the commercials. Great, great. That's in here. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen Love doing... Thunder? Have you had a chance yet, Stephen? Of course not. Okay. Uh, My right, life is so different now. I'm not even caught up on the back. No, he has to edit it, John. <laughs> Fine. He's not editing blind. I won't let him. <laughs> okay, last uh, thought on, on Secret Invasion that I've got, at least, because this is something I wanted to talk about. It's a real bummer um, they didn't use this opportunity to bring back Black Goliath. <laughs> he oh, just God. died. Like this is <laughs> two years after Civil War. That'd be kind of ha, 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 just kidding. Well, I mean, I don't think he's come back, has he? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think they up. realized, hey, we have enough shrinky, growy people. Yeah, but he was the black one. <laughs> well, I, I don't like it either. Hey, you know, I don't really care for stature. As a, I don't really like the Young Avengers that much, but you know, we have them. Sorry, I interrupted you, Stephen. What were you going to say? Um, the whole he loves you thing, mm-hmm. I think, is interesting. And part of what I think is interesting about it is that it's really easy to look at that as a post-9-11 critique of, you know, religious fanaticism. Mm-hmm. But the more interesting way to look at it, and I think it's the way that it was actually intended to be read is as a critique of specifically American colonialism. Mm-hmm. Huh. And I wish that they had done more with it, because ultimately this is not a thoughtful book, but it does take a moment to try to be that. And it's when the scrolls have the upper hand, you've got the monologue going on where they talk about how, you know, again, humanity has grown and they've justified their violence by saying it was done in the name of God. I kind of covered this in my recap. And then you have these moments where the the scrolls talk about, you know, basically assimilating people into their culture and uh, improving their lot in life, improving their technology, giving them everything that they want. And there's no, like, real philosophical counter-argument to that, except that that's not what the people want. And it does raise these interesting questions about imperialism and self-determinism and doesn't really do anything with them, but the fact that it even raises those questions, I think, make this a more interesting story than it might have been otherwise. Yeah, I think, I think there had been a moment of self-reflection on that, right? Like mirroring that a little bit closer, not just to the history, but to the current, well, at then current events. Yeah, I think would have been really interesting, and maybe would have, I think, improved the book a little bit. But at the same time, it's like 2008. Uh, actually, no, th- that wasn't back when everything is political. Everything is too political now. Um, <laughs> so I think you probably could have gone away from it. I wouldn't be surprised if the editors maybe would have requested to stay a little bit away from that. They're like, we think we've, we've, we've hit this close enough. 
like we're already using God to justify, or like the, these characters are already using God to justify this war, right? Like maybe that's a little bit too on the nose already. And if somebody doesn't get that, mm, that's a different problem. <laughs> I'll say uh, something that it was all fine and well for them to put Norman Osborn in charge until it happened in real life, and it's not funny. So. <laughs> <sighs> what? They never put Norman Osborn in charge in real life. Very, 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 very. Uh, again, um, I, that I would have been Jay Jonah Jameson. <laughs> not even that. It's more like you know a '60s Batman villain. You know, <laughs> I, I know I mentioned this not that long ago, but uh, Douglas Wolk, all the Marvels, has a chapter about Dark Reign and the way that it weirdly predicted the Trump administration, and that all starts here with the rise of Norman Osborn to real political power. Uh, just really interesting, uh, interesting stuff. Um, Reed Richards all stretched out uh, <laughs> yeah. before he's saved by um, Abigail Brand. By, uh, Abigail Brand, yeah, Agent Brand, Abigail Brand uh, is very freaky. But I'm here. Oh for yeah, it. <laughs> really know. like it. Yeah, he's really he's a bit, feeling a bit too much science. A bit less uh, stretchy guy in newer comics. You know, got a lot of goofy stretching back in the uh, Fantastic Four annual, but oh, it's real goofy here. Real Gwyneth Paltrow product. Um, well, speaking of something that we spend a lot of uh, resources on that nobody actually needs, should we uh, go to the list? Uh, that hurts. <laughs> right now, Aldo's like, just like lathering it on. He's like, oh, my goop. <laughs> no, it's, in a, it's a rock, isn't it? I don't want to think about what goop? it is. Goop. What do you do with the goop? Um, so, currently on our list, we have 204 stories. Um, we've got some pretty... Our highest ranking event comic is Secret Wars, which is currently at number three. Has been at number three since we first read it. Um, wow. Lowest ranking event comic is... Civil War? I think Civil War might be our lowest. It's 183. Would you consider Ultimates an event comic? I don't know. I actually toyed with that. It's it's close. I don't know. <laughs> it, it feels like an event comic, but it is just like the Ultimates. That's like the first appearance of Ultimate Captain America, the first appearance of most of the Ultimate versions of those characters. I don't know. We could say it's the Ultimates, sure. Number 202. It feels like it. Um... Okay, but that's not what we're ranking first. We're ranking Fantastic Four Annual number one. This goes in the um, has potential but also kind of sucks category because there's like like everything with Sue Storm is like, oh, come on. But then there's some cool stuff with the Submariner, so that's kind of cool. Um, I no. would put this between Thor's Eternal Saga and definitely below Powerless. So 165, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Okay, I was actually, yeah, I was going to say, where does this compare to something like uh, Childhood's End, which is that Fantastic Four story we read a couple of, like, a month or two ago? Again, kind of highlighting Sue Storm being somewhat useless. Um, and I was going to say, it's probably not as, good, not as good as that. So, 165, yeah, I think this is the right neighborhood. Um, it's mainly, I, again, I've said this, it's mainly interesting as a... 
historical artifact. And so I think 165 or 166 might be the right place for it. Yeah, I'm trying to think like, oh, should it go somewhere? Other, but it, eh, it's, that's really the right neighborhood because it's, yeah, I'm looking at these other ones. Yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I yeah. like Stan and Jack. I like Stan and Jack. I don't, I don't think this is the best showcase of no. what makes them special. Yeah. Um, we've got stuff much higher by the two of them that highlights it a lot better. It so, must be my destiny. Yeah. That's Ditko, though. That's Ditko. Uh, the Galactus <laughs> trilogy. There you go. Okay, 166 between Powerless and Damage Control Acts of Vengeance. Oh, boy. It is. That's a big thing. Damage Control is not great. So this should be Damage like Control a should be good. I. I. The idea is fun. The wrong story. Yeah. Uh, so, what about Secret Invasion? Like, this is, again, I think this is easily one of the better events of this time. I'd rank it above House of M, for example. Okay. Um, but I'm not where, sure how much higher it goes, Where honestly. is House of M at? House of M is number 122 currently. Wow, okay. Um, not that that's... I. For some reason, my first comparison to this was Heroes Reborn. Oh, Heroes Reborn is way better. Yes. <laughs> okay so that's our range it goes somewhere between 122 and heroes were born where is that 28 yeah it goes, okay so it goes somewhere in those hundred spots jeez so i didn't compare it to heroes were born necessarily because of quality i compared it to that because of recency i guess I, I'm not sure I understand. Just because they're both like more recent event books. Oh, I see. Okay. 13 years apart, but still recent <laughs> considering the history of Marvel Comics. Number 68, which is Prisoners of Doom, Fantastic Four, Issue 5, pops up at me So as, as another ceiling. Lower than the 28. So we're getting closer to the right neighborhood. Um, part of me is like, it's an event, so it should, like, and it's, and it's well done. It's a Bendis event, and I like that. And so I want it to, you know, do well on our list because I, I think it's good. But also, um, part of me likes the idea of Secret Invasion more than what we got. Like, everything in Savage yeah. Land was cool. That part where we find out that Mockingjay was a, was a scroll when we were sure that she was really her, that was heartbreaking. And then, you know, all of, all of, that whole issue five is just great. But I'm more intrigued by the follow-up issues. And so does that artificially rank, you know, what I think about Secret Invasion? Also, um, the only Secret Invasion I had read before this was the uh, Deadpool tie-in, which is fantastic. He, like, joins up with the Skrulls and then it finds out that he's actually trying to... He's, like, a double agent for Nick Fury. It's great. So, so question. But, how, would yeah. you guys, how would you guys feel about putting this right above or around... Vampire State. That's actually around where I was looking. Um, I was probably a little bit lower than that, but... See, and for me, my problem here was, like, I think this was not that much better, but comparable to Thor and Loki, Tenth Realm. Yeah. Like, okay, you know what? That might be perfect, because I think this is the spot where there are a whole lot of books that I think are better than you guys think they are. Uh, like, I keep going to Rogan Gambit, which I was, uh, I think, a little bit higher on than the two of you. Just because, I, like, I would rather reread 
Rogan Gambit than Secret Invasion. But I think push comes to shove, we might need to rank Secret Invasion higher than Rogan Gambit, despite my personal preferences. I would put it under Thor's Battle World. Ooh. Um, that's that's yes. my ceiling. Oh, okay. Above. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where I was. I was below. That's, yeah, no. it's not that far from where you were. Yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah. I kind of think that's okay. Like, I would rather read some of this other stuff, but I'm hard on Marvel events that aren't mm-hmm. Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think, I think for me, it's kind of like, I want to be harsh on Marvel events because, one, they're always so talked up. They're always talking about how they're going to change the status quo. And there's such a time and money sink. So screw you, you get the harshest criticism. <laughs> yeah. Also, well, I feel bad that like we're we're griping at these creators whose ideas turn into huge movies that they don't see uh, fair um, credit for. You know, like yeah, I don't know, pick a movie and I'll tell you. Oh yeah, you know, this person, this mm-hmm. person. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. So. Yeah, like when uh, oh, I forgot what the artist that did a lot of the Jason Aaron's Thor run. He was tweeting about that uh, that big cat lion god that's dead in the yeah. that shows up in the trailer and he was like yeah. that's cool that they use that mm-hmm <laughs> it's like straight out of the straight out of the comic just like boy sure would have been nice to get some sort of you know paycheck on that. i'm sure he got some i hope would hope actually i can't even say i'm sure i hope they got some paycheck out of that but all right or you know davida ha mm-hmm yeah, Davida Ha, Davida ha doing, like basically designing the title sequence for Hawkeye, and I don't even think he got credited. I don't think so. I I want to say that I saw his name. That's gonna bug me. I think it might have been in the sense that it's like based on the something something in David He run. Anyways, so talk about ranking. Uh, <laughs> to be settled on a number. Uh, apparently not. Okay. I oh sorry. Um, I. I say 79, replacing Edge of Spider-Verse, Issue 2, Spider-Gwen. Oh, no. See, I have, I have a hard time putting this below or above Mary Jane Black Cat Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're so funny. Or Children's Crusade, actually. I think Children's Crusade was a slightly better event. And to me, it's sixes. I could go either way on okay. that. So, John, I'll, where do I'll, you think? I will concede and put this at 81. <sighs> Let's see. Yeah, if it's above Vampire State, I'm okay because that was that was a mess. Yeah, that disappointing. Was, that was the Steven. Why is that so high up? That's a Steven decision. It feels like probably <laughs> okay. Vampire State is not as good as you want it to be. For a story where uh, Dracula shoots vampires at the Earth from his base on the moon, you know, it, it's it's not as good as you want it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so? So, uh, with that, I think we're ready to talk about what we're reading next time. For our next episode, we've got... uh, Why are we reading these? These are weird stories that we picked. I thought... Here's my... my, Just random. I thought, hey, we should read more about villains. What villains haven't we hit yet? MODOK, okay. Uh, Hey, I love Ocean's Eleven. MODOK's Eleven. Done. There you go. That's, That's that, it. Was the, yep. that was the whole thought process. I saw people complaining about Daredevil being funny in the She-Hulk TV show, and I was like, you know what would be great? A funny Daredevil book. And you know who does that? Mark Wade. Mark Wade? Yeah, okay. Fair enough. 
yeah, so we're going to read the first arc of the Mark Wade Daredevil series from 2011, which is issues 1 through 6. And we're going to read Modox 11, which is part of the Marvel Supervillain team-up from, like, 2008. 7. 2007. I was guessing at the year. I couldn't quite remember. I didn't write it down. It says uh, that it goes yeah. to 2008, but it's 2007. Oh, well, there we go. So, yeah, odd double feature. Uh, looking forward to it. Should be fun. Um... And then, yeah, I guess at some point I'm going to have to watch She-Hulk figure out how to squeeze that in when I'm still behind on The Bachelorette. Hey, your, f- your family's a lawyer, right? My family is your a lawyer? Your family is a lawyer? 